Hi, I'm Lucia Johnson from Frisco, Texas, and I'm an accountant for a privately owned investment company. I love listening to Compelled because the stories are so real and gripping, reminding me of how faithful God is and how He's always working in people's hearts. After each story, I always feel touched, inspired, and encouraged in my faith and walk with the Lord. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's episode. When we kicked the door in, it was a guy there waiting with a gun and shooting at us. We're not running. We're shooting back like a little Western movies, Wild Wild West. I'm Paul Hastings, and you're listening to Compelled, where we use gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. During our last episode, we heard from Mike Felch, who as a young man, desperately tried to fit in with any crowd who would accept him. During the day, he ran with a street gang, but at night, he was a computer hacker. But after being imprisoned behind bars, he heard about someone who would accept him just as he was. Again, that was our previous episode with Mike Felch. This week, our guest is Tyrone Summerall. And interestingly enough, Tyrone was actually mentioned by name multiple times by Mike Felch in our previous episode, which is why we wanted to release this one next. Their two stories are loosely connected, but can stand alone on their own. But after you finish listening to Tyrone's story today, make sure to go check out Mike's. One of the pivotal reasons that Mike Felch is a Christian today is because of Tyrone. But you may never have guessed that. From childhood, Tyrone was a habitual thief. If he wanted something and didn't have it, he would just take it. Eventually, as an adult, Tyrone was sentenced to prison for multiple armed robberies. But as Tyrone was groping through the darkest moments of his life, there appeared a spark of hope. So gather around, lean in, and join us for another compelling story from the kingdom of God. Tyrone and I sat down in a suburb close to Orlando, Florida. He's strong, vibrant, and has a great smile. When I asked him to tell me about his family life growing up, the first thing he mentioned was the strength of his mom, a single lady who moved her household full of kids to a new town to get a fresh start on life. I was born in Eustis, Florida. My mom and my dad, they were married. Um, she had three girls, four boys. And so they got a divorce and then we moved to Lake Alfred, Florida. And um, I was about three years old. We did not have a connection with our dad. He would just see us and when I look back, it was almost like we would be around him but no connection. We respected our dad and I guess if he would have been there, it would have been a little bit better, but I don't know. But I know that we wanted our dad in our life. My mom's a strong lady, she's hardworking and she began to do work in the fruit groves, the fields, growing squash, potatoes, whatever. And, um, and then eventually she started cleaning houses, doing like domestic work. Sometimes we would uh, not even have uh, m money to pay the bills, like the water bill or the light bill. We would see her praying. But she would make a confession that God is going to do it for us and we would see it happen. We would see those bills get paid. And I mean, she really taught faith to us and she lived by faith. 
Although Tyrone's mom worked very hard, lived by faith, and took her kids to church, she still had her limits. Their family was still very poor, and it was even harder to keep track of the kids, especially as they got older. But around like um, eight years old, I started really stealing out of my mom's pocketbook. You know, that's how my life began of crime and sneaky type stuff. Stealing out of my mom's pocketbook um, and eventually start breaking into houses, stealing bicycles, stealing out the store. My mom would go to the laundromat and wash clothes. The laundromat was to the right. The Circle K store was joined to it. So we would have these big garbage bags of clothes and we used to go in the Circle K and just rack up. We would steal deodorant, candy bars. We were little kids, but it started a pattern. I mean, every store we would go into, we would steal because when you got that many kids, the very things that you want, you can't get. The little simple things. The mom is already exhausted because too many kids, one parent home. So in our minds, yeah, I want that and I want it now as a little kid. We're not going to get it, so we're going to take it. I remember we were breaking into a house, actually my friend's house, Michael Aiken. <laughs> and uh, we get in there and uh, it wasn't much to get, but they just cooked the cake. And so we had to get a piece of that cake. And so when the police did the investigation in the newspaper, they called us the cake bandits. At eight years old, I went to the court and my mom took me to court. They locked me up. That was my first crime where I got locked up. When the door closed, it was like the doom. And so the detention center, you got young kids in the 80s, all of us at the same level, just bad. At first, it was kind of hard, but it was like almost like a camp. You ate three meals a day plus a snack. You played games, watched movies. But I would get out and I would go back in. In the sixth grade, I was doing more theft. I remember we was watching like Flavor Flav and those rappers and uh, they used to have the big medallions on their neck, but Mercedes-Benz had the big Mercedes symbol on the front that would stick up. So we went and popped them off the front and put them on our necklace. You know, that's a crime. And for that particular piece of lawbreaking, the state of Florida shipped 12-year-old Tyrone to Miami, where he lived in a group home for troubled kids. But unfortunately, the group home only made the situation worse and emboldened Tyrone in his habit of crime. It was just like a regular house with a lady that lives in it that she she got paid by the state to raise us. But she it was just like a house, whereas we did what we wanted to do. The guys from Miami used to sneak out the window at night, sell drugs. We used to snatch pocketbooks. I mean, it created more crime. I'll go back to this one incident where it was a guy, he's a good guy, his name Willie Robertson. He was like the neighborhood snitch, but he was the neighborhood good guy. We were the neighborhood bad guys. He would tell us, hey, hey, y'all stop doing that crime, stop. And he, was, he would tell us right, but we were receiving it right. So we said, okay, since you want to tell everything, we got something for you. So he had a brand new Z24 and it was red and it was nice. So we took a, a gallon of white paint and we painted his whole car. 
<laughs> so the only way we got caught, we had a paint dripping back to our house. <laughs> so when the people of Polk County, they don't label us as Tyrone Summerall. They'll say the Summerall boys. Because when we were younger, we were the only ones in that area getting in trouble the way we were getting in trouble. All of us did it together. And it was a macho-ness about us. We walked around like a lion walking and knowing he's what he is. I'm walking like that, and I know I got it, and you know I got it. That's how we walked. The Lord, he would smoke weed and hang out. Haywood was more like a fisherman, and he would make moves a little bit, but not like me and Teddy, my younger brother. Us two together, we made it happen. It's the little petty stuff that eventually led to big stuff. I remember one time we were at the probation office and going to get checked in. My mom was in the probation office. We stole a gun out of the, the guy's car. Let us get that. You know, we did not care. We were 12, 13 years old. I get out of one juvenile program, I'm going to steal something or take something, fight somebody, and go right back. That was the cycle. I have been to a, that group home in Miami. I went to Jacksonville Start Center. I went to the START program, like a 28-day camping program. I went to a program called Florida Environmental Institute. They had roaches in your food, and I didn't want to live out in the woods. And I ran away from there. And then I went to uh, St. Pete Halfway House, and it, it was some more that I went to. And uh, from so 12 to 15, I almost spent all of those years locked up. Growing up in the detention center, it builds your mindset to truly be the toughest guy. Because you're in there with guys that's trying to size you up. And it's like the animal kingdom. Who's the biggest male? Who's the strongest male? And I, when uh, rejected or offended, all I know how to do is fight or, or be, you know, be confrontational. And it's like, even when I went to Miami, when I went down there, my mom had bought me some clothes, but definitely my clothes didn't match their clothes. It was of the lesser sort. So the guys were picking at me. And then I punched this guy right in his face in the classroom and his tooth came through his jaw. Tyrone was surprised, as were his classmates. The years growing up amongst tough kids in programs and detention centers had made him strong. By age 17, Tyrone hadn't slowed down stealing things, but at least he hadn't been caught in a while. So he was actually able to attend a regular high school as a junior and join the wrestling team. We won a state championship in 1992. I weighed 183 pounds and I wrestled 220. I had to drink two pounds of water to make weight. So I took third in state my first year and only wrestled half the season. So I came, I was coming back the number one person in our class in our, that weight division. But I was doing so much crime. I mean, we were snatching pocketbooks. We were breaking into houses. We, we were stealing stereos out of people's cars. Anything to make a, we weren't doing it. We were doing it to make money. But eventually it caught up with me we broke into the, uh, a car lot, and then my friend, he asked for a ride to go to his girlfriend, and he beat on his girlfriend, and by me being there, I got charged with that crime. So I get sentenced to five and a half years, two years probation, and I went to prison my 12th grade year, so I could not enjoy the benefits of being a number one guy in wrestling. 
This was the first time that Tyrone had been charged as an adult, and suddenly things felt very real. Instead of being locked up with other juveniles for a limited time, he was now facing years behind bars. In prison, I had a lot of confrontation with these guys out of Miami. You know, at that point, when you push me, I don't know how to back down. They had to ship us all because I, I wasn't going to back down. And so I went from Indian River prison, a juvenile prison, to an adult prison, Hardy Correction. And once I got there, I realized that, man, I had a lot of potential that I wasted on crime. I didn't want to be in no more trouble. I didn't. And so my thing was education. I started studying every night. It was a guy that was a school teacher in there. So he was an English school teacher. So every night he would teach us English. So I taught myself algebra. He was teaching me English every day. I was working out and my thing was, I was gonna go as a walk-on at USF. Tyrone realized that he had wasted most of his early life, but he had a plan. He was laser-focused on his education, and he had a goal to walk onto the University of South Florida's football team once he got out of prison. It's important to note, though, at this point, God never really factored into Tyrone's plans. Did God exist? Why, sure. But did that have any bearing on how Tyrone should live? No, that just sounded like the stuff the old ladies at his mom's church would say. Tyrone was cool with God, so God must be cool with him. And now, Tyrone was ready to clean up his act and get on the straight and narrow, ready for a new chapter of life, one devoid of crime. Well, we'll see how that turns out right after the break. You love Christian testimonies. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to Compelled. But imagine if you could enjoy Compelled stories from Christians throughout the ages, including those who've already passed away. Well, that's what our friends at YWAM Publishing are doing through their Christian Heroes book series by retelling the incredible stories of Christians like George Mueller, a man of prayer who ran an orphanage for 10,000 children in England who trusted God to miraculously provide food and shelter for those orphans, sometimes on a daily basis. Or Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was murdered by the Aka tribe in Ecuador but chose to forgive and move in with the tribe to share the gospel with them. Or Brother Andrew, who during the height of the Cold War smuggled Bibles to Christians behind the Iron Curtain, all under the noses of communist border guards who could have imprisoned him for life or worse. These are the types of stories that YWAM Publishing is printing, and their books are written for kids ages 10 and above, but frankly, adults love them too. They've published 50 of these biographies so far, and we just partnered with YWAM Publishing to bring you five of my favorite stories. These are the Christians that have inspired my faith and millions of others for decades, which include the three testimonies I just mentioned, as well as Corey Tin Boom and Amy Carmichael. We're calling it the Compelled Christian Heroes Bundle, and I actually worked with YWAM to select these five specific stories, and they agreed to drop the price in half just for Compelled listeners. So it's $30 and includes free U.S. shipping. To buy this bundle for yourself or to give to a friend, visit compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. That's the letters Y-W-A-M, compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. And trust me, if you love listening to stories on Compelled, you're going to love reading these stories too. 
As a teenager, I had so many friends whose lives were transformed by attending a Worldview Academy leadership camp. For many of them, it was the highlight of their summer because it was such a spiritually engaging experience. And today, Worldview Academy's mission continues. If you have a student between 13 to 18 and you care about equipping them with biblical truth so that they're prepared to stand firm and engage with the culture, then Worldview Academy is what you're looking for. Worldview Academy's week-long summer intensives cover topics in apologetics, servant leadership, and evangelism, all while building deep friendships with like-minded students. Your student will engage with 25 hours of interactive teaching, addressing questions like, how do I know that the Bible is true? Does God really exist? Who defines what is right or wrong? And what difference does that make in my life? Since 1996, over 42,000 students have called this one of the best weeks of their life. And with 18 summer intensives all across the country, there's certain to be one near you. Learn more and get 10% off your student's camp registration as a Compelled listener by using the promo code COMPELLED at worldview.org. Register for camp today at worldview.org while spots are still available. And remember to get 10% off using the promo code COMPELLED. Welcome back to Compelled. Tyrone Summerall, former cake bandit, one of the self-described Summerall boys and a perpetual juvenile delinquent, decided to change and to focus on education while he spent time in prison. After three years into serving his sentence, Tyrone made parole. He was going to leave his old life behind. And for once, it looked like something had finally paid off besides crime. I got out uh, November 1995. January 1996, I enrolled at Polk Community College. When I took the, the college entry, the lady thought my scores were wrong. It was a white lady, an older white lady. She said she has never seen a black person score that high in English. So I went to school full time and I was passing all my classes and I was working and doing good. I would deal with girls, women, and I would tell them I didn't want to get in a serious relationship because my plan was to check in the USF on the football team. My cousin started a business, a lawn service, because he was a drug dealer, so he's trying to transition, but he's mixing the flavor, still doing wrong and right. He asked me to work for him, and that was a good thing at first, but be not deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. The good habits I had were thwarted because I began to hang around a bad situation. That's where it started going bad at right there because I was drifting slowly. I did not know that, that I would drift that slowly. But once I got hooked in, my mind started changing, not wanting to go back to school. And that was the beginning of my end, that move I made right there. Tyrone's cousin finally asked him to sell drugs, but Tyrone didn't want to. Instead, Tyrone made a counteroffer. He liked stealing, and it gave him an adrenaline rush like nothing else would. So he offered his services to his cousin in a unique way. Tyrone and his brothers, the Summerall boys, offered to rob competing drug dealers. My rationale with drug dealers of who are you going to tell? You're doing wrong. And so when I'm looking at them, you're doing, you doing crime. So if I get you... So what? Both of us did wrong. Nobody's untouchable. So that was our model. We would use stealth to rob, along with our aggression and strength. If we wanted to rob you, you couldn't stop them. 
you can put a lot of precautionary things in place, but you can't stop us. Because no matter if your house is fortified, eventually you got to leave that house. Nobody's untouchable. I remember a robbery. When we kicked the door in, it was a guy there waiting with a gun and shooting at us. We're not running. We're shooting back like a little Western movie. It's Wild Wild West. So basically, he ran out. But because of all the gunplay, we had to leave because we don't know who called the police. It was like six pounds of marijuana in there. We went a mile down the street, and I told the guys, turn around. We turned around and went back to the house, and we searched every room and got what we came for and left. But when I look back at it, we did not care whether we lived. The fear was gone because I was out of control. That image that I built up was not going to stop. That image became a monster. If you face me, I feel like there's nothing you can do with me. There's nothing at all. I don't, I don't care if you're Mike Tyson. I don't care who you are. Over the next five months, Tyrone and his brothers completely spun out of control and went on a massive crime spree, pulling off multiple burglaries throughout Florida. And while they were justifying their behavior with some very twisted logic, the most unlikely conversation cropped up that forced Tyrone to think just a minute about his faith or lack of it. We were going out of state. It was me Teddy and Lloyd. Lloyd is the older brother. Teddy is the younger brother. So we're riding up there to do a caper. When he went to prison, my older brother Lloyd became a Muslim. So we're going to do a robbery. And we, we have this conversation. Lloyd is talking about this Muslim stuff. And, and no disrespect to that, but I'm just standing up for what I know to be the core of me truth. Teddy and I are defending the faith. And so we're going back and forth for a long time. And we, we just had to say, man, Jesus is real. I don't care what you say, you know, and I'm going to eat pork, too. So <laughs> we get to our destination and we do our business and uh, we make it happen. Then we head back to Florida. I'm like, I'm doing this robbery, talking about Jesus. But that just showed that my mom did a great job. It was something inside of me that, that convinced me that God was real, even though I didn't want to really live for him at the time. While Tyrone and his brothers were driving around the countryside, pulling up heists and even had the occasional debate about religion in the car, they tried to hide all of their misdeeds from their mom, the same way they were hiding them from the law. And as far as they were concerned, their mom was completely in the dark about their crime spree. But their mom could tell something felt very off. And as it turned out, she had a pretty good hunch based on something that even they couldn't steal, an actual relationship with God. I can remember where I was standing, and I can remember her in front of me. And she said, Tyrone, God showed me in a dream that you're going back to prison. And I'm going to tell you, that hit me like a ton of bricks in my chest. And for like two or three weeks, I stopped doing everything. And it, and it, and it got me. But after three weeks that pressure got off of me and I started back doing it again. And my mom used to say before God sent a destruction, he sent warning. After years of warnings from authorities, counselors, and law enforcement, and this final warning from his mom that shook him for three weeks, Tyrone decided to come out again, go to Georgia with his brother Teddy and a friend, and not come back home until they had stolen $50,000. 
So we're in Lakeland at Lake Parker by the power plant. I said, you all know that if we go, somebody can get killed or we'll kill somebody. Back then, talking about $50,000, it's going to be some gunplay. It might be some casualties and fatalities. We all pondered it, put our heads down. I said, what do y'all think? They said, I'm down. So we went. We, we was going to Georgia. We're, we're in a Cadillac, uh, listening to rap music. And for this one moment, I sped up and then the sheriff stopped us. So when he stopped us, he knows we're from Florida. And most guys from Florida going through Georgia bringing drugs. But we don't do drugs. We, and that's another thing. We never did drugs. We, we didn't drink either. We just had sticky fingers. So he stopped us. He said, hey, can I have your license and registration? I said, yes. He said, can I search the car? And I tried to play him. I said, yeah, you can search the car. By me saying yes, in my mind, he may not want to search it because I offered it to him. But we had like five guns under the back seat and we had all our artillery in this trunk for robbing it and all of that. So he got a consent to search form and he said, hey, will you sign this form? When I read it, I said, number five says, I have a right to refuse. So I refused to search. He already wrote my ticket. So when I refused to search, he said, well, I'm gonna call another drug dog out and walk around the car. He walked the dog around the car and the guy had a tennis ball in his hand. And he hit the car with the tennis ball and the dog started barking. And he said, hey, all right, search the car. Cause that's supposed to have been for the presence of narcotics or something. But that's your little tennis ball. So they searched the car, they found the five guns, and they drew their guns on us and told us to lay down. They arrested us. And we're in Georgia locked up. And my, my girlfriend then, she came up to get us, but we had already bonded ourselves out and we was headed back to Florida the next day. And my mom, she's a short lady, kind of, you know, heavy set. But when she found out we got stopped in Georgia, she said she started jumping and praising God because she knew the road we were on was the beginning of our end. She knew that God had intervened to save our lives because we weren't going to stop. Tyrone and his brother thought that they were in the clear, but along with the guns, the Georgia police confiscated Tyrone's fireproof safe full of jewelry, and some of that jewelry was connected to unsolved robberies that had been reported. And so we come back home and I'm going to the police department and say, hey, man, let me get my jewelry. You know, you got my jewelry. Let, let me get it. And I'm talking to them like rough. They're like just being police officers. You know, we're not going to give it to you. We, we, you know, whatever. I lived in Winter Haven at this time, but I rode through my hometown of Lake Alfred and I seen a sheriff's car over there. Sheriffs do not patrol in Lake Alfred. They don't. So he was out of place. So when I rode through, the sheriff started following me. So when he started following me, I turned around and I faced him to see was he really following me. So he stopped. So we're looking at each other. Now I know he's following me. Still don't know why. So I leave out and we switch cars with my cousin. So when my cousin comes back in town, they set a trap for him and they arrested him, but they were looking for us. And so my mom called me and she said, she said, Tyrone, where you at? I said, I'm in Winter Haven. She said, Tyrone, 
It's so many polices over here. She said, the FBI, everybody, they're over here. And I'm, and I'm still thinking, what did we do? What did we do? Where I lived, they had that uh, under surveillance with cops around there. They had where my mom lived at, at the same spot. So we was under the radar, just riding around. And we knew we had messed up. My mom, she called me, she said, she said, Tyrone, when you get ready to turn yourself in, she said, I'll take you in so the cops won't hurt you all, you know? And so when my mom took us to turn ourselves in, she told the police, she said, these are my boys. And she said, there's no scratches on them. And when I come back, there better not be no scratches on them. And then so they booked us in. I was in Polk County Jail, but it was so crowded, they shipped a lot of people to Indian River. And I was only there for maybe three days to a week. And me and Terry Stevenson, we were in the cell. But when I seen him, he had a glow on him. And I looked at him because I knew him from back in 1993. And I said, I want what he got because I knew it was from God. And it's along that time right there, I felt the impression of God. I really wasn't even thinking about God, but I felt in a tangible way, God's love came and touched my life. I felt it tangibly. And that's when I felt like the chains fall off me. And, and it translated to my mind that the Father loves me. Not even Jesus at this moment, like the Father loves me. And I'm in jail facing judgment, but God is not judging me. God is a God of judgment. But when God reached out to me, he didn't show me he's the God of judgment. He came to show me he's a God of love. That's what I needed, a God of love. And that's why the chains of bondage, of that addiction to, to stealing and robbing and crime and hate and covetousness, it fell off of me. I felt like when I walked, I was walking out of a jail cell. I, I really felt that. Something was happening, a stirring in his heart, and in such a strange place. Tyrone had been incarcerated before, plenty of times as a kid and young adult, and the three years in prison before he could finish high school. But never before had Tyrone cared about a faith in Jesus. And yet now, he suddenly did. And then God did another thing. Tyrone was suddenly transferred to a faith-based dorm in the prison. And what he learned about the calling that Jesus places on our lives to lay down our selfish ambition and desires and instead seek God's kingdom was mind-blowing. The king of the universe cared about Tyrone personally, robberies and all, and had sent his only son to die for Tyrone and suffer the eternal punishment that Tyrone deserved. And best of all, the forgiveness of Tyrone's sins was a free gift and not something that could be stolen away. That was some good news. His time in the faith dorm was a short stay, but Tyrone would never be the same again. He was truly a new creation. And Tyrone's newfound faith in Jesus was tested almost immediately when he was transferred back to Polk County Jail. So when I got back to Polk County, the guys from Lakeland, they jumped me. But I fought like five guys in there. And they got the best of me because it was five of them, but I wanted revenge. Only for a moment because God is touching my life. 
So my brother Teddy was in another cell. He said, hey, man, you want me to execute this guy? And I said, no, man. I said, no, man. I, I said, man, let, him, let it ride. Let it ride. And so he didn't touch him. It was this one guy in there reading the Bible, older black man. And I would do workouts like pull-ups, push-ups in the jail cell. And I, I said to him, I remember this. I said, man, I'm working on my body, but I need to start reading the Bible. And then that became almost one or two days a week, two or three days a week to every day. I began to read the Bible every day. And the, the same guy that was started teaching me the Bible, his name James Hubbard. He did a great job. But when he left, everybody's coming down to the cell, my cell, to have Bible study. We used to have Bible study like right after we eat. So I had the sheet over my head and I was pretending like I was asleep. <laughs> because I knew they was going to ask me to do it, but I was trying to hide and pretend like I'm asleep. So they say, Tyrone, wake up. We got to have Bible study. So I got up and started teaching. And that lasted, I mean, every day we began to teach the Bible. I don't know much, but as I began to teach, God began to help me, you know. But now I'm facing serious time. And in case you were curious, during this time leading the Bible study is when Tyrone first crossed paths with Mike Felch and began playing a role in Mike's walk with Christ. And again, to hear that full story, check out Mike Felch's episode from two weeks ago. But as Tyrone alluded to just now, the serious time he was facing was potentially decades in prison. Tyrone was trusting that God would work in his own way, and he did. But it wasn't quite what he expected at first. That story right after the break. Have you ever wondered why traditional math curriculums seem like they have a one-size-fits-all approach? Well, that's because they do. The curriculum writers are making assumptions about how quickly your child is progressing, even if your child is actually struggling with a concept, which, if left unchecked, can become a major hurdle to learning and hurt their confidence. That's one of the reasons why CTC Math exists. It's an adaptive online approach that automatically changes depending on your child's unique learning needs. By adapting to your student's pace, learning becomes not only more effective, but also more enjoyable. Can you imagine? No more tears about fractions. The interactive questions change in difficulty based on how your child is progressing, ensuring that they're challenged at the level that's right for them. Not too hard, not too easy. It's just like having a math tutor who knows exactly what they need when they need it. And as a parent, you'll love the detailed reports. You'll get to see their progress in real time and celebrate their victories and understand their challenges. Ready to give your child's math education a major boost? Just visit ctcmath.com and sign up for a free trial and experience firsthand how personalized learning can transform your child's approach to math. Again, that's ctcmath.com. If you like to stay up to date with current events, then you'll especially appreciate another podcast I enjoy called The World and Everything in It. It's a daily news program, about 30 minutes long, delivered every weekday morning by Christian journalists from around the world. And they aren't just rehashing the current headlines. They're actually doing investigative, boots-on-the-ground journalism while providing biblical, cultural analysis. I started listening to their show about five years ago when we first launched Compelled. 
And since then, they've become one of my go-to sources for understanding current events from a biblical perspective. But they pull no punches. In fact, they tell the facts just as they are, even when it requires sharing uncomfortable truths. Maybe that's why they're one of the Apple Podcast's top 100 news programs. Join me and thousands of other Christians from around the world who listen to the world and everything in it. Just search for The World and Everything in It in your podcast app or visit WNG.org. Welcome back. Tyrone Summerall, former cake bandit, Summerall boy, and felon has been arrested, locked up, and has finally surrendered his life to Christ. But as Tyrone's case wound its way through the court system, he learned that he could potentially be in prison for the rest of his life. Tyrone began asking God to intervene and do something for him, and God did, but not in the way he expected. I humbled myself and trusted God that God would do something for me. And I used to go to the chapel and pray. And I was praying and I was being real with God. I said, Lord, it still hurts me that my dad is not there for me. And and I'm going to tell you, God showed me a vision where he was sitting on his throne. It's a vision in my mind. And I had my head on his outward quad. And he was rubbing my head like this. Let me tell you, from that moment on, that pain was displaced. And his love, the father's love flowed flowed through that. And I never felt that pain of my daddy not being there for me again. Reading the Bible, I read the children of Israel. They would disobey God, serve other gods. They would get into captivity and they would cry out to God and God would deliver them. And I say, I'm no different than them. So nobody's explaining this to me. I'm figuring this out. And my mom is encouraging me too now, you know, but I just trusted God because I said, God, I'm not the same person. You, you've touched my life. And I'm not the same person that went out to do these robberies because you've changed my life and say, Lord, I trust you to deliver me. There, there was a deliverance that had to take place in, inside of me before God will bring deliverance to the prison itself, me getting out of prison. Because if he, if God did not change me from the inside, if I did get out, I'll come right back. I, I remember reading Second Chronicles, the 16th chapter, about King Asa, and he was about to hire another king to help him out. And God got offended because God was the one that helped him out. And I was going to hire a lawyer. But after reading Second Chronicles, the 16th chapter, I realized that I would be doing the same thing if I pay a lawyer rather than wholeheartedly trusting God, because I was already going to have a public defender. So God convicted my heart. I did not hire a lawyer. I just trusted God. I just started beginning to get thirsty for God. And I wanted to God to speak to me, to my situation. Help me, Lord. We were in an open bay dorm, like barracks, like open bay. We had bunk beds all the way around. I used to get on my knees every night and pray. I would get in my corner. That's, that's the only way I could pray. But outside, I worked in the swill room where they had all the junk food in the trash can. They used to feed to the pigs. I used to go in there and pray. I used to go in the wreck yard and pray. Sometimes I used to pray two and three hours at a time, maybe 
two or three hours a day, you know, per day. But around that six month, I'm praying. And God spoke to my spirit. He said, I have delivered you. I never forget these words in my life. He said, I have delivered you. Continue to follow me. And then I seen a vision of a spirit, I would call a spirit. It looks like predator with his mask off and we were face to face and I was not scared. A month later, my case got overturned and I came home. Now, we could easily end the story here. Tyrone had found God. God had delivered him from his addiction to stealing and from prison, and Tyrone was going home. But for many people who get out of prison, that's not the end of the journey. In reality, sin creates baggage, and baggage carries a lot of guilt and shame. And in Tyrone's case, he had a lot of it, and he would need God's help dealing with it. When I came home, now I got to deal with condemnation in a sense of God has forgiven you, but do you believe it? Even though God forgave you, that don't mean people are going to forgive you and that people don't remember your past. In Lake Alfred, they had a little a park day where, where people were out there and somebody asked for me to give my testimony. And I was feeling a little condemnation because I know what I did. They know what I did. And the Holy Spirit pricked me. And he said, I have forgiven you. You hold you, you walk with your shoulders up. You are forgiven. It's a lot of people probably saved that are still walking in shame and guilt and are scared to talk about your past. But how can anybody know the goodness of God if you never speak and, and you'll never show what God has delivered you from? I'm not only de delivered, but I'm not walking in shame and guilt because his blood has covered that. And I'm not happy of my past. I did hurt people. I let people down. I cheated people. But God has restored me and redeemed me. That's what I rest in. The rest and peace that Tyrone finally found through Jesus Christ allowed him to get married, start a family, and unbelievably, even reconcile with his dad. I started talking to my dad and I started telling him that I love him. My dad died last year. Um, it's, it's, he, it was like acute uh, leukemia came upon him. He was a truck driver for like 60 years. So he, he died last year. And I, at his funeral, I said something like, uh, my dad wasn't there for me, but me and my dad was cool. I said, if you hear judgment, you hear it wrong. You're not hearing it right because I'm not looking at him as a dad that abandoned us. I'm looking at him as I got love for my daddy and I'm going to show that to my daddy with no grudges, with nothing. I got a clear heart. God cleaned the slate. You know, I'm not judging my daddy. Over the last 22 years that Tyrone has been out of prison, the stark transformation that Christ has worked in Tyrone's life has become more and more apparent especially to those who knew him during his previous life. Me and my brother built a business, and the same people that knew us, how bad we were when we were younger, those are some of the same people we work for, and they respect us and give us an opportunity. Even the police officer from the city of Lake Alfred, 
we do work for him. He let us move his daughter. He let us cut down trees for him. People got to see that you truly have changed to do that. So God gets the glory out of my life by taking a thief and a taker and turning him into a worker and a giver. I'm the direct opposite of what I used to be. Only God can do that. Even people, when they see it, they can't believe it. And I seen this white lady looking at me in tropical smoothie. She's looking at me. I'm like, Man, what, what is this lady looking at? And I passed by her, and I guess she read the name off the back of my shirt. She said, I know you. I said, how do you know me? She said, I used to be a probation officer. <laughs> so when she said that, I just gave her a hug. Because if you talk to her, she would tell you there was no hope for us. And I know that that change only came from the Lord Jesus Christ. As we wrapped up our conversation, I asked Tyrone to take a minute and share how he's been able to express the love of Christ with others still incarcerated. Like prisoners, a lot of them would say to me, my beginning stages, they would say, hey, man, I hope you stick with it. But, you know, they were saying that to say they didn't really believe because they call it jailhouse religion. But. When they say jailhouse religion, they mean like when you'll you'll serve God when you're in jail, but you'll leave your Bible in there and then you'll go back and live however you were living. But one thing I told them, I said, hey, man, you know, when I was real about the streets and doing wrong, I was real about that. And now that I have chosen God, I will be much more real about that. This life that Christ has given me. I was 100 percent for wrong. So now I'm 100% for right. But back to the impact. A lot of guys that's been in jail or prison, they have to see it. They have to see it. And they'll, they'll tell me now, they say, Tyrone, man, a lot of them say, if you fall, man, we have no hope. Because they're looking at me as an example to say it can be done. And there's so many people that um, that say, man, I appreciate you because it's like we represent each other because I'm an ex-felon. And I'm I'm a person that says, hey, oh, he can't change. Oh, he can't change. The change is through Jesus Christ and us submitting to what all he has given us to change. Tyrone, you're right. Tyrone can't change. That's why I needed Jesus. And so the impact has been big. Because God gets the glory out of my life by taking a thief and a taker and turning him into a, a giver. And I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because I don't have nothing. And I, I, I'm telling you, I don't have nothing. And that's why I have come this far because my requirement is I'm insufficient. But God is sufficient. Yeah. That's, that's my requirement. I can't do this. But God, you can do it through me. Just the other night, I was reading the story of Zacchaeus, the short tax collector from Luke chapter 19 with my kids. At the end of the story, Jesus makes the pronouncement, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And man, doesn't that describe Tyrone? He was so blind to his own sin that he would defend the existence of Jesus and then commit a robbery the very same day and think nothing of it. But God is gracious to all. 
and Tyrone is living proof that no one, no one is beyond the reach of Christ. If you know someone who should hear this episode, please take a minute and share it with them. And if you'd like to see some behind the scenes photos of Tyrone growing up or watch a short video clip that a local TV station made about Tyrone, then visit our website, compelledpodcast.com and pull up the show notes for this episode. Today's episode was edited by Will Jackson, story editing by Rob Vischer, sound engineering by Zach Fowler, and our associate producer is my wonderful wife, Sarah Hastings. Stay tuned for a sneak peek from our next episode. Curtis and Deanne Lewis had taken in their five-year-old daughter, Natalie, for a routine heart procedure. But during the operation, her heart was accidentally punctured and she stopped breathing for 15 minutes. The doctors shared the terrible news that Natalie would never recover. I'm your host, Paul Hastings, and you've been listening to Compelled. We'll be back with another compelling story two weeks from now. We'll see you then. I just said, what happened? And he said, you know, something went wrong in your daughter's procedure. We need to get you inside. And I feel like I probably finally just yelled, like, is my daughter alive? And he said, at this moment, she's still alive. One last thing before I go. If you'd like to meet up this year in 2024, I will actually be on the road for a few events, either speaking or exhibiting at some conferences. I am still nailing down all the details, but already I know that I'll be at the Texas Homeschool Convention in Fort Worth from April 18th through 20th. The other Texas Homeschool Convention in Houston from May 30th through June 1st. The Home Educators Association of Virginia Convention in Richmond from June 6th through 8th. And there's also the chance that I might be at some other events in Louisville, Kentucky and Nashville, Tennessee later in the year, but we haven't finalized those details yet. If you live near any of those locations, then I'd love to meet you. You can also see our latest up-to-date calendar of events at our website, compelledpodcast.com events. And I hope to see you there.